0: If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know we're in a series that we're calling The New Normal, in which we're looking at the never-changing, but ever-changing church. And so the uh, purpose never changes. The means is changing all of the time. A little review for those of you that may not have been paying attention, or you may be new. We started by looking at Jesus' promise. All the way back in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I will build my church, I don't know about you, but that takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Jesus is designing. Jesus is building. He's the architect, the general contractor. He's putting this thing together. Now, he wants to use us in order to accomplish that, but he promises that it's going to take place. The second week in the series, um, Carlos spoke, and he talked about the means of accomplishment. And here's what he said. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So God really does use people. He uses us together as we work together as a community to build this church, but the energy, the motivation is the spirit working in us, connecting us in order to build the church. Now, last week, we looked at a series of five markers or five characteristics of this community called church. Remember those five? Here's how they went. We are qualified, remember, After you're qualified, you're rescued. Then you're transferred, you're redeemed, and you're forgiven. And we said those are characteristics of people that are in this community called church. And I ended last week by giving you an assignment. Now, you thought I was going to forget, right? I said I was going to check this week, and here was the assignment. Sometime during the week, read those three verses and just ask yourself this question. If you really, really believed, that Jesus has qualified you and rescued you and transferred you and redeemed you and forgiven you, how would you live? How would your perspective in your life be different? Did you spend any time thinking about that? It was on social media. I saw that a couple of times. And so you even had a couple of reminders during the week. But I have a little bit of a confession to make. I kind of set you up with that assignment. I really wanted you to do it. But I set you up because Paul actually answers that question in the rest of the letter to the Colossians. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Paul's answer to the question we ended last week with. And so if we really believe those characteristics of this new community, how will we be different? What will life be like? Paul's going to answer the question. So our title this morning is All About Change. We're to be a community of change. Have you ever noticed human beings are like hopelessly addicted to change? Have you ever noticed that? Just watch TV. We have home makeover, extreme home makeover, fixer up, we've got commercials galore for exercise equipment, for dieting this, for fixing that, coloring this, changing that. We're addicted to change. But it's not just physical change. Um, I I did a little uh, Google search this week. Check out these numbers. In 2014, there were almost 32,000 self-help books published. Not purchased, right? There are millions. 31,000 written. In 2019, there were almost 90,000 self-help books written. And I just know that last year, 2020, in the midst of COVID, I bet they almost doubled that number. We're addicted to change, right? Everybody wants to change. If we were to take a poll this morning, you could list some things you want to change on the outside, on the inside. We all have a list we want to change. Well, that's the right answer. Paul says, if we really believe that we have been qualified and we've been connected to God, and we've been rescued, and we've been transferred, and we've been redeemed, and we've been forgiven, we will want to change. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or whatever you've got to read on, you can turn over to chapter 3 of Colossians. And I'm going to read for you just a couple of verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at the context and figure out some as we go. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. So here are a couple of those verses. Paul writes, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And overall, uh, these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what does Paul want us to change? Well, he wants us to take off those characteristics that he describes just before this, and he tells us to put on these characteristics. He tells us to put on compassion and kindness, patience, humility. Well, let's just take a second to uh, say a word or two about those. How about compassion? How are you doing on the compassion scale? Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm better at defining what the words don't mean. Uh, So this is not compassion. You're talking to someone, they're telling you about their life, and it's a mess, and in your mind, you're thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not you, right? That's not compassion, right? Compassion is you feel with the person. You can empathize and sympathize. It's not stepping away and thanking thanking God that you're not in that situation. Well, how about kindness? This is not kindness, Hey, could you hand me the milk? What am I, your slave? I have to do everything around here? You you don't have my own two feet and hands? Walk over the refrigerator and get the milk yourself? That's not kindness. Kindness is speaking nicely and seeking to fulfill the other person's needs and wants. Humility. Now, the older version says meekness there. Uh, Every time I see meekness or often when I see meekness, I'm always remembered of an old Bobby Knight. Remember Bobby Knight, the old basketball coach? Uh, Bobby Knight said this. The meek may inherit the earth, but they rarely get rebounds. Uh, That's kind of our world, right? Uh, Yeah, the meek may do this, but if you really want to get ahead, if you really want to accomplish your dreams and fulfill your goals, you can't really be humble or meek. No, being humble means um, you have an honest understanding of yourself. Uh, Some of you probably heard me uh, use this illustration before. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is a 200-pound father wrestling with a 30-pound three-year-old or four-year-old and not killing him in the process. It's power under control. Gentleness. you not doing things with a sledgehammer, but doing things in a positive way, enticing. Patience. Um, you ever notice that People that drive slower than you, especially if they're ahead of you, they're idiots. If you're driving in a lane and they biz by you uh, going in a in crazy amount of speed, well, they're morons. Idiots go slower, morons go faster. Only you're doing it right, right? At, no, patience is putting up with the exasperating behavior, attitudes, and characteristics of other people. And the list goes on. forgiveness, This goes on caring for people, and love binds all of this together. Uh, So let me ask you, as we take a look at the clothing, right? Think of the metaphor. As we take a look at the clothing that Paul says, if you really believe those five things that Jesus accomplished for you, you will want to clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How you doing? Uh, I have to confess, I don't wear those clothes too often. How about you? If you wear those garments perfectly, you have my permission to leave right now. uh, Or maybe you should come up here and teach the rest of us how to do it. Um, Paul's using a metaphor. Put off these characteristics that come natural and put on these characteristics that the gospel brings to you. That's kind of the what. What we need to change. Think of the metaphor take these things off, put these things on. It's all about change. Well, you can probably tell by now, I don't mainly want to talk about the what this morning. I mainly want to talk about the how. I want to talk about how we do that because I already believe we all want to change. I believe the vast majority of people in this room really wish we would would wear the garments of compassion and patience, and we would bear the garments of forgiveness and love and humility. I, I know we want to wear those things. Well, how do we wear them? We want to wear them. We just don't wear them. How can we put them on? Well, Paul gives us all we need to know kind of in this letter. So we've got to pick up a couple spots. So hang in there while we think about the letter. Let me tell you about the context of the letter. Paul writes to this uh, church in a town called Colossae, and um, he doesn't really write a letter that's like a sledgehammer destroying them. He's um, seeking to encourage and correct them. And do you know what the problem was? Syncretism. Let's move on now you know what that is. What the heck is syncretism? Well, you kind of know, Right? Syncretism is syncing up a couple of things so that now they work together. If you're going to sync up this with that, so if you read through Colossians, here's what you'll discover they were tempted to sync up Jesus plus a little religion, Jesus plus a little Judaism, Jesus plus a little angel worship, Jesus plus a little bit of fashion um, design. Jesus plus the right view of holy days and Sabbath. Jesus plus the right set of disciplines. It works in our day too, right? Jesus plus the right style of worship music. Jesus plus the right discipleship program. Jesus plus a journal that you can purchase online. Jesus plus the right political party. Jesus plus the right view about education, socioeconomic. You see, syncretism is still real. We want to take Jesus and sync up a couple of other things with him, thinking that real change comes through syncretism. It's Jesus plus these other things. And I don't have to tell you, very quickly, the other things become the priority and Jesus becomes secondary. Paul writes this letter to say, no, 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 no. It's Jesus plus nothing, friends. Change comes Jesus plus nothing. But boy, nothing's the hardest thing to bring, right? Because we want to add our two cents. We want to throw in our discipline. We want our perspective. We want our values. We want to add something to what Jesus is doing. Paul says, no, no, no. If you're seeking to add, if you're trying that syncretism dance, change isn't going to happen or it's not going to happen in a way that mostly honors God and allows you to wear those clothes. Now, uh, just to kind of give you a simple illustration, if you like leftovers, you understand syncretism. Uh, We don't do leftovers, uh, but I remember in the school lunch cafeteria, it kind of went like this. Tell me if this was your situation. On Monday, maybe you had green beans, on Tuesday, maybe carrots, on Wednesday, lima beans, on Thursday, broccoli, and on Friday, you had mixed vegetables. That's syncretism, right? You take all the leftover pieces through the week, you throw them all together, and at the end, you have a new end. Yet Paul says, no, 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 that's not how change happens. It's not syncretism, it's not mixing things up. It's Jesus plus nothing. Well, that's kind of the context what else do we have to know in order to change the how? Well, chapter one really helps us. In chapter one, Paul gives us the who. Here's the who from chapter one. Now, there's a lot of dense theology here, right? Just hang in. I'm going to point out a couple of things to you. So here's what Paul writes. This is the engine to the how. The son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For God God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Now, don't allow the picture to uh, cause you to go down the wrong road. When Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, he does not mean that on that creation day, Jesus was the first thing to pop out. No, no, no. He's not speaking of beginning. He's speaking of priority. So back in those days, the firstborn son would take the place of the father, right? The firstborn son had the priority over the whole family system. Jesus is the priority, that's the point. That's who he is. He's the creator, he's the redeemer. He is the picture of God. You wonder, so God gives the command, do not make images of me, right? Don't carve statues, don't make pictures, why? Because God gives us his image. It's a living image, it's Jesus. My favorite verses from Colossians though, found in chapter 2. I remember uh, years ago when I uh, first became a Christian. These verses and this picture um, just rocked me. Listen to what Paul writes. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now that picture is a little different than in our world, but let me tell you about the ancient world and what what Paul's saying in the picture. Prisons back then were very different than prisons today. Prisons today, even the guards are not supposed to know what the inmates are in there for. You're not supposed to know, right? It's all a secret. Sometimes the word gets out, but you're not supposed to know. It wasn't that way back in Paul's day. In fact, in Paul's day, over every prison door, there was a certificate of debt that was nailed that named that prisoner's crime. And so if you were a murderer, over the door, murderer waiting for execution on this date. If you were a thief, then thief went over the door. And so your debt, your crime, was put on a sign over your prison door. And what does Paul say Jesus did? He walked through that human prison collecting those certificates of crime and certificates of debt. And he walked up to your prison door and mine and he took down the placard and he collected them. And on that Good Friday all those placards got nailed on the cross above his head and all of those certificates of debt fell on him as he paid the price for all that are trusting in him that's the what he did who is he he's the creator he's god himself he's the fullness of d de- and he's the redeemer he's the savior that's who he is. It's not a mistake that when, when I started reading in verse 12, that the first word there is therefore. What's Paul doing? He's calling us back, right? He's saying, if you really want to change, if you want to put on these new garments, you want to take off the old garments and put on the new garments, first thing you have to do is to remember who Jesus is. Make sure you remember what he did. That will provide the engine. And it's almost as if Paul can't help himself. So uh, right at the beginning, right, right in verse 12, the beginning part, here's what he gives us another list, right? So we had the list last week, right? Um, we had the list of transferred and redeemed. Here we get a new list. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly, Paul likes lists, right? But notice the first list is kind of how you get in. This list gives us our identity. This list gives us our identity. Uh, I'm not sure you've ever realized this, but you can teach and understand most theology through the Godfather movies. And uh, le- let me tell you a little bit about identity from the Godfather. Remember when Michael goes to Las Vegas and he's trying to kind of buy the casino back from Mo Green, remember that? And he shows up and he's been taking care of Fredo and all this stuff. And Mike uh, and Mo Green's a little upset over the oh, offer. He's got to come up. And do you remember what, uh, what Mo Green says? Do you know who I am? I'm Moe Green. I made my bones when you were dating cheerleaders. You you know what Paul says? If we're going to change, you have to know who you are. Not Moe Green. You have to know who you are. Are you chosen and separate and loved? Is that your identity? Let, let me say a word about each other. First of all, chosen. Now I know some people kind of freak out when they read the word chosen. God kind of chose us. That means he didn't choose these other people. What's that, what's that say about? Him? No, no, no. It's kind of like this. Have you seen the uh, Charles Barkley Capital One commercial? He's kind of on the playground, right? And so the, the little kid says, Why well, choose Charles? And he says, yes, yes, I knew she'd pick me first. I knew it. That's not what it means to be chosen by God, right? Um, why did Barkley get chosen first? Because he's a really big basketball player. He, yeah, 100 pounds overweight now, but he's a really big basketball player. He's much better than the little kids that are there. That's not why God chose us. God chose us because he loves us. It's nothing in us. It's in spite of us. God looked down in spite of us and he took that certificate of debt over our prison, and he chose us to be his people. Therefore, put on the right kind of clothes. He also separated us. The word holy just means separate. Occasionally, uh, Kim and I will drive each other's cars. It's usually irritating for me, uh, because when I get in either car, Kim had previously driven... The seat is almost up to where the, I can't get in, the door hits me, I gotta put the seat back while I'm trying to climb in. And I'm sure she feels the same way if I, she's trying to, he's trying to pull the seat up so she can reach the pedals and all that stuff together. Well, well what is that? You see, when you drive your car and you select all of the settings, you adjust the settings for you. Well, if somebody else is gonna drive your car, they have to select the settings for them. You know what it means to be holy? We adjust our lives to the settings God wants. So that when God kind of slips into our lives, he's comfortable there. The values and principles that he wants lived out, they're the values and principles, right? And so, are you adjusted to God's preference? Do you know you're chosen in spite of? And do you know, are you adjusted to God's preferences? And lastly, dearly loved. I did a funeral yesterday for a friend, not a, not a close friend. I met with some of his friends during the week and heard the stories, talked to his wife and daughter a couple times through the week. I met with them yesterday morning and went to the cemetery for the funeral. And it was pretty sobering, it was unexpected. But as I thought about his life, I was reminded of him. Fine print and bold print. You know what? Fine print, there's a difference, right? The fine print, you have to kind of squint to read. Usually we don't read it, right? It's in the footnotes and it, at the fine. And we all have fine print in our lives, right? And so for this guy, the fine print was, you know, the year he was born and the college he went to and the career that he had and the hobbies that he liked. That's all the fine print. But you know what I was reminded of through the whole week? The bold print of this guy's life. He loved being with people and having a good time. And people really loved him. You know, so often uh, we kind of live for the fine print, don't we? All the little details, making sure all the T's are crossed and all the I's. And look, that stuff's important. I don't mean to make light of that. But don't forsake the bold print for the fine print. And Paul repeatedly says, the bold print is your identity in the gospel. Chosen in spite of who we are and what we have done. Separate and adjusted to God, his values and preferences. And loved as undeserving as we are. You know, I kind of think, if we would emphasize the bold print a little more, the identity bold print, I think a whole lot of the fine print would kind of take care of itself, right? I mean, if we were overwhelmed with the fact that God chose us in spite of us, and we're living lives adjusted to his preferences and values, and we know we're loved, you know, from the bottom to the... We know, I kind of think we couldn't wait to take off some of those garments that displease him, and put on the garments that he wants us to wear. I don't want to end this morning by uh, assuming that everybody in the room, everybody in Quakertown, everybody online actually has the identity that Paul describes here. But the point is, that can be your identity in Jesus. If you're unsure or you know you're not chosen and selected and you know you're not adjusted and you know you're not loved, you can come to Jesus this morning. Have your identity radically changed. And then change the clothes of the fine print because you're living out of the bold print. Let's stand and pray. Father, we're reminded this morning that a a letter written a really long time ago. It's just as relevant this morning as it was the afternoon Paul wrote it. Lord, I pray that we just went and look at a, an ancient letter and say, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. I pray that we would take a long, hard look at who Jesus is, at what he's done. Make sure our identity is chosen, holy, loved. And then, get a wardrobe adjustment, live out the fine print. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.